We'll count it. One, two, three. Clap. I think Ash was behind on that one. another episode of let's rewatch the show where we like to watch movies that we loved in our youth and see if they're still any good as always i'm nick i'm brett i'm sam i'm ash am i in this <laughs> that's bryce sounding sad as ever bryce you sound sicker than i am <laughs> <laughs> this week brett couldn't make it sick so of the podcast sick brett is going to be joining us in his place Hello, he everyone. sounds similar to brett but he's sick brett yeah, I'm really sick today. And this time around, we're watching Labyrinth from 1986, 30 years ago. Shit, that sounds old when you say wow. it like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that uh, what we were trying to do here is uh, do the 30th anniversary of Labyrinth? Yes. Woo-woo. Happy birthday, Labyrinth. Are there any festivities or events going on around the 30th anniversary? There are. There are a couple of art shows going on here in Los Angeles. Um, I believe one is a tribute show at Gallery Nucleus, and there might be another one at Fan Alley, which I think is in Orange County. And Pop Vinyl released the um, the Labyrinth series Pop Vinyls. Oh, that was for, for the anniversary? Yeah, for the anniversary as well. Mm-hmm. They were released Pop in, looks amazing. Yeah, I want one so bad. If if our listeners want to buy one and send it to me. <laughs> Pop vinyls with like a creepy amount of bulge. Oh, God. There's I don't a- think there's any bulge on the Pop Vinyl, thankfully. Aww. There should there's be. There's also the annual um, Labyrinth Masquerade that happens in Los Angeles. Yes. Which yeah. sounds amazing, but it costs like $500, so boo. Yeah, there was a, a few years ago when the Harmontown podcast did a Halloween episode, and they do their podcast live at Meltdown, and they invited everybody to come dressed as Jareth. Oh my God. So everybody on stage <laughs> and everybody in the audience were all Jareth. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I wish oh, I was there for that I'm one. I'm so jealous. So this is Labyrinth from 1986, of course, directed by one of the best filmmakers of all time, Jim Henson. This was Jim Henson's third theatrical movie. What? Really? Only as really? Third? Wow. You're, you're surprised. You thought there were more before this? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He'd done um, Great Mu- Great Muppet Caper and uh, Dark Crystal before this. Wow. Although okay, he'd done a- he'd done a bunch of TV movies like Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas and you know a bunch of Muppet oh, stuff. Okay. But as far as yeah. theatrical movies, this was his third. Was the Muppet movie the first one um, with the Rainbow Song? Was that not a theatrical release? It was, but James Frawley directed. Jim Henson did not direct. Oh, oh interesting. In fact, this, this and um, the only Muppet movies that he directed... Well, actually, theatrical movie was The Great Muppet Caper. He directed the uh, Muppet Vision 3D, which was the the thing at California Adventure. Oh, that's uh, now gone. Disneyland, which is now gone, which I'm bummed about. Um, He directed some TV movie stuff. But as far as like the theater releases, the only one he directed was The Muppet Caper. Interesting. That's kind of like... um like Nightmare Before Christmas, everybody credits Tim Burton as being the director, but Henry Selick is the actual director of that movie. Yeah. Frank Oz directed one of the Muppet movies, and I think it kind of went around the team. And But still, I mean, it's, it's a surprise because he did some great movies. Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, very well-known movies. 
And of course, Jim Henson is one of my all-time heroes. Um, I love this dude. I love, I love Muppets. I love everything about Muppets, Fraggle Rock, everything. Oh my God. You're thinking, Fraggle? listener, I love Muppets too, Nick. No, listener. Nick has a Muppet <laughs> of himself. That's Nick how literally much he loves Muppets. Muppet. But I'm not. <laughs> he is a Muppet. But I'm not. Hey. I'm not like special. Like you can go to the uh, what's the big uh, toy store in Manhattan? Oh, yeah, I know what the you're one talking that about. That just though. closed. Fao Schwartz. Yes. You go yeah, to Fao think- Schwartz in New York, or you just go to their website and you can have a Muppet made of yourself. Wow. It's not. That's or awesome. maybe not anymore. Maybe not anymore. Maybe now. Maybe it's you too are late. special, Nick. Yeah. Well, oh, <laughs> I mean, hundreds yeah, of you started that before. off with I'm not special, but I like went out of my way to have a Muppet of myself. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but it's not that. Grain of salt. Like impossible. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love Muppets, which might make my opinion of this movie a little surprising, which we'll get to. Um, but our stars are Jennifer Connolly who, of course, I love in everything I've seen her in. Um, this was her third third or fourth movie, and she's worked with some huge directors. Her first movie was Once Upon a Time in America, and her second movie was Phenomena, a Dario Argento movie. So she'd worked with Sergio Leone and Dario Argento before working with Jim Henson hmm. as a teenager. Like, that seems like an incredible way to get started in the film industry well yeah and of course she's just fantastic everything like the rocketeer she's amazing oh i forgot about she was in that yeah requiem for a dream Ugh. oh you're not a fan i mean i i will not deny that requiem for a dream is an amazing movie do i want to see it ever again it's it's hard to watch no i don't ever want to see it again once was enough i'm gonna add it to the list because i've never seen it oh man prepare to to just have like a meltdown you've never seen it either i know the Uh, song i'm gonna tell you right now you will not like that movie okay don't watch it It is like emotionally scarring. I'm not kidding. When I saw that movie, I sat in silence for like a half an hour afterwards, just like in shock. Yeah. I don't think I need to do it again. No. Yeah. Once is enough. I'll take Labyrinth a million times over. Like people say train spotting is like intense. Like, no, it's nowhere near as intense as that movie. Yeah. But I want to make a recommendation because I think I bet none of you have seen and I bet a lot of our listeners haven't seen Waking the Dead. Which I think she's just absolutely phenomenal in. It's it's uh, Jennifer Colony Connolly and uh, <laughs> she colonized herself and Billy Crudup <laughs> and it's one of those things where I don't even want to say what it's about because that gives away too much. But it's a very emotional and you will be sobbing at the end of this movie. Um, but she's just well. We know what it. it's about. It's about waking the dead in a way that you probably don't expect. But then it's hard to top our other star in this movie. Oh, yeah. Mr. David he, Bowie. He can't be topped. No. No. <laughs> Too much bulge. <laughs> You're That's real obsessed he... with that bulge, Brett. You have <laughs> not stopped talking David about Bowie it. We've been making David Bowie bulge jokes on this podcast and in real life nonstop for years. You know okay? that wasn't his real bulge, <laughs> too, like, either, right? You're saying there were three of those uh contact juggling crystals yeah <laughs> and one was just in his pants in a sock <laughs> uh. so i think this was david bowie's it might have been his second theatrical movie he was in man who what? fell to earth mm-hmm. in 1976 yeah 
then this, and then Last Temptation of Christ in 88. Wow. Looking him up on IMDb, he doesn't actually have a lot of movie credits, except his music is in hundreds of movies. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But he doesn't appear in a ton of movies. And I wanted to kind of gamify this a little bit. I found that David Bowie has played three real-life people in movies. Do you know which three real life people he's played? Nikola Tesla. One. Yeah, that's the only one I know. Okay. Was that was the only um, one I knew? Himself. Jared, the Goblin King. <laughs> okay, that's a real life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> himself? Yeah, did he play himself? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. In extras, he played himself. And in, um, um, uh, oh, we watched it. Zoolander? Dance Off. Zoolander, Zoolander thank you. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't actually counting that one. Oh, damn it. So well, you man, should. So then you're wrong. Four. <laughs> yeah, four. Maybe some of our <laughs> listeners have already guessed. He was, of course, Pontius Pilate in Last Temptation of Christ. Oh, I guess that makes sense. And he played Andy Warhol in Basquiat. Oh, I forgot about that. He was so good, yeah. too. Which is such a brilliant choice. Like, who do we get to play Andy Warhol? Oh. The David other Bowie. weirdest dude we can find. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we we love David Bowie. Um of course, he's he's great in this. I think he's just fantastic in Prestige. Yeah, you know yeah. who knows nailed it. How accurate that is to Nikola Tesla because nobody knows what that dude was really like. But he was great in the movie. So those are our big stars. But of course, you will not see a lot of the standard Muppet performers in this movie. Frank Oz, Dave Goltz, Steve Whitmere, Kevin Clash—they all play characters in these movies, and you'll never see their faces. But you'll hear their voices a little bit. Uh, interesting fact, too, if you don't mind me interjecting. But mm-hmm. the very first episode we ever recorded for this podcast, we talked, which actually wasn't the first one we ever released. The very first episode mm-hmm. we ever recorded was uh, the uh, American Werewolf. Okay. And um, and we talked about in that the news had just broke that they were doing a Labyrinth 2. And That's right. <laughs> that several years later, they are still supposedly doing a Labyrinth 2. So I have no update oh. on that, but interesting connection. James Franco's in it. I looked on IMDb and I couldn't find it on IMDb. Really? <laughs> it's because yeah. it's the Labyrinth. It's the Labyrinth. This one oh, is weird. Labyrinth. I know. I just oh, looked it up. Oh, okay. Yeah. It says it's supposed to come out this year. But well, that's who knows. unlikely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, is Weird. this just our second Frank Oz movie then? Because uh, he was in um, uh, the Werewolf. Yeah, I don't know if I would call this a Frank Oz movie. It's a movie <laughs> that Frank Oz kind of appears in. It's the Frank Oz connection. That was the whatever. song that was supposed to be in the Muppet movie, the Frank Oz connection. But last minute, they changed <laughs> it to the Rainbow Connection. Yeah, it just it played a little bit better. Oh, so this the labyrinth you're talking about, Sam, is not the sequel to the labyrinth. It's a different thing. What is it then? With James it says Franco. it's a collection of original shorts exploring the unknown and unexplained and the unimaginable. I don't. Why think did it has... they name it hmm. the labyrinth? That's just fucked up. Because they're shitty. <laughs> James Franco, How if you're listening, it. I need answers. I'm sure he very is. upset. I'm yes, very upset. Please tweet at Sam. <laughs> that way I can ignore your tweet like you've ignored my questions, James Franco. Also, he's not even really in it. It just says that he's the voiceover. Well, so damn you've it. You've been he knows. so lied to. He's the voice of the uh, labyrinth. <laughs> whatever. 
Fine. The, the, the stories end, and then James Franco comes on voiceover, and it's just like, wasn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> so Want to see think- a trick I can do with my arm? Oh, no. <laughs> Not that trick. <laughs> Did I... I, I think I've told you guys, and it might be an interesting little story for the podcast. When I saw 128 Hours in the theater, somebody actually had like passed out or had a fit or a seizure oh, wow. or something when that scene happened. And it was literally a moment in real life where somebody stood up in a movie theater and says, is there a doctor in the house? Wow. Yeah. Whoa. What? Somebody just completely melted down when that happened. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. That's like a thing that doesn't actually happen. Oh, it happened. And there were far too many people who just didn't give a shit and were trying to watch the movie. <laughs> of <laughs> like, course. When I left the theater to try to get them to stop the movie and call somebody, and they're like, no. Were we all together when we when they pulled the fire alarm at, at Batman? Yeah. Yes. And oh, that was the best. The, the fire well, alarm went off. It was And they're like, everyone leave would. the building. And fucking nobody got up. Yeah. We're well, like, the thing we're is, not leaving Batman. Get the yeah. fuck out. <laughs> this is Batman. <laughs> minute, was this they, after the shooting? No, it's way, way before. This is oh, okay. Dark Knight. Yeah. But okay. it, the w- time the alarm was pulled was right when the like clown dudes were trying to cut the alarm to the bank. Uh, yeah, the, so we thought it, it was part of the movie. Yeah, it totally yeah. synced up. And we're like, oh, they, they cut yeah. the wrong wires. Right when they cut the wires in the movie, the, just all the lights go out. And it goes, pew, like, uh, pew. And the, yeah, the alarm goes off. We're like, wow. <laughs> It's yeah, dark for a while. Amazing, <laughs> yeah. and nobody moved. Like nobody wow. wanted to get up and leave because we were like, "But it's Batman! Like I'm not leaving, yeah. Batman! I can't leave you, Batman!" And it wasn't just it wasn't just any theater. I mean, this was the ArcLight too, so it oh, was wow. like ArcLight Hollywood. Not, yeah, it's like I'm not leaving my expensive fucking art like seat, you know? Hey, but we got free tickets. Yeah, that was super bizarre, though. And I think we used our free tickets on Transformers too. Oh, that was oh, such a waste. <laughs> yeah, everyone was all excited and uh, well, fucking what's his Michael face? Michael Bay showed up. Yeah, and he's like, hey guys, I'm Michael Bay. I was just oh, hanging out. No. I wanted to see my fans. And everyone goes, woo! And then, but that was before the movie. And then the movie plays. And at the end of it, everyone's just like, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys hear this thing about the next Transformers movie they're shooting right now? They apparently have some flashback to Hitler. I don't know how that fits into Transformers. So they needed a place to shoot Hitler's mansion, the scenes of Hitler's mansion. They're shooting in England. They got Churchill's house. What? Oh, yeah. People are not happy. The irony and the weirdness. Yeah. They dressed Churchill's house as Hitler's mansion and stationed SS guards and everything outside and shot there. Oh, that no. is horrifying in its ignorance and uncaring. There will be a special place in the seventh circle of hell for Bayham then, Ugh, where he will be subjected to his own Bayham. Like of of all of the people and movies that that would be done for, like I'm super not surprised that 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 Transformers is just like let's do yeah, it. Let's I guess I'm turn not it into Hitler's house. Yeah. Wow. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Labyrinth. <laughs> I think I'll kind of surprise and not surprise people with my perspective here that I don't remember enjoying this movie that much. 
No. I don't know why you say that you don't like this movie now when when we saw it, you absolutely loved it. Well, I was excited to see it. I think the not surprising thing here is uh, there's been this weird pattern that anything that Ash likes, I don't like. That's true. And vice versa. Yeah. That I'm not like intentionally trying to perpetuate, but I don't see. I don't know why we're friends. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you expect from this movie, Ash? And, And we've seen it. Fairly recently, Bryce, you and me have seen it. Oh, I see this movie all the time. Like, I, to put this into perspective, this is quite possibly, hands down, one of my most favorite movies ever. Like, this is one of the movies that really defined my childhood. Like, I've seen this movie over and over and over and over again, countless times. I own the soundtrack. I know all of the words. I sing all of the songs, so prepare for that because it's going to happen. It just is. Um, but I absolutely love this movie. And I think this movie probably, you know, also really harvested my love for David Bowie, you know? It harvested it? Yes, it harvested it. It took it, it out from of my you heart. and made something useful out of it? Yes, it for, did. For the whole culture to enjoy? Well, thanks for... <laughs> Appreciating my creative language. Okay. <laughs> um, but it just sounds so sinister. <laughs> it is. It's David Bowie. Bowie. I mean, look at him in this movie. He is sinister. But I think... Um, he steals babies. For me, this movie, you know, Jim Hansen was like trying to make a movie that, you know, really spoke to teenage girls and I think he did an amazing job because this was everything I wanted when I was a teenage girl you know like absolutely everything like yes I want I fuck everyone else they're assholes you know just like Sarah is like that's how you are as a teenage girl you're like ugh, my parents are the worst and then you know you want to escape to this magical fantastic world where there's some like really hot dude who's dressed as like a fairy like yes that's everything I think a teenage girl wants <laughs> absolutely and he's stealing babies we know what you need to do for for Ash now <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah this is definitely everything I've ever loved in a movie it's just fantastic <laughs> I love it it's I mean I I really like it's like Jurassic Park in this movie. Like literally, these are my two favorite movies ever. So like, yes, like I will. That's a fight. hell of a comparison. It's it, there are very different them. movies. I'm not comparing them. Well, I'm. I I don't know what because I I don't think I've seen this more than once. <gasps> really? What? Wow. Yeah. No, that's sad. Brett and Sam, you've both seen it. Yes. Recently? Well, uh, no. I I can't remember the last time I saw this. Uh, I don't remember. I know I would watch it every year for Halloween in high school, but I honestly, it could have been since high school since I've seen it. So I don't know. I, I really, really loved it. And I think I will still really, really love it. And yeah, yeah. That's, I don't know. The characters and like the fantasy world is awesome. I don't think the story is particularly deep, but it's really entertaining and enjoyable. What do you think, Brett? So, um, I think this is the last of the movies that is in my personal, like, mental category of all of the movies that were, like, too dark in, in like, color palette for me as a child. Uh, I, I feel like I've mentioned it before, like, uh, when we were watching Never Ending Story, 
or uh, the Dark Crystal, like the things that it's like the vibe is too weird. But I don't, but I don't remember anything about the movie really, except the mad dance, magic dance song, and the uh, yeah, I, I saw it once when I was a, a really young child, and I don't, I don't really know what to expect because I don't know what it's about really. Uh, I just it's so there's so much imagery and stuff that I feel like I'm saturated with the look of it, but I I, I don't know what the movie's about. So uh, based on my other expectations of similar types of movies, I don't know if I'm gonna love it, but I'm looking forward to finding out if it'll actually be good. All right. So what do you expect, Bryce? Actually, I really liked this movie as a kid. Uh, I'm with Ash that I saw this one a lot, so I'm probably still gonna like it. On top of that. Bryce could do the contact juggling that David Bowie does in the Whoa. in the movie. That's why you fell in love. Crusty jugglers. That is how you wooed Ash. You you put you put you put a, a ball in your pants and then you contact juggled oh the rest of them and Ash just melted and that is the end of your story. And, and, and when you guys get married, I'll tell that story at your wedding. And Fair then enough. Bryce will do some contact juggling. Perfect. No, that he's gonna save that for the wedding night. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was actually it was Michael Motion, who's a contact juggler, who a lot of people credit as actually inventing contact juggling. I'm not totally sure. He did literally write the book on it, but uh, he was actually reaching under David Bowie's armpits and doing contact juggling while looking to the side in a monitor. Oh, which is like a, a whose line is it anyway thing that they do, where like one person will put their arms through the other person and do an improv scene. Yeah, I guess so. It's a lot more impressive when you think about the fact that he like couldn't actually even really see what he was doing. He was just all, all feel. I guess he was looking at a monitor, but that's like that would be worse. Yeah, that's <laughs> still yeah, that's weird, yeah. crazy. And it's not hard to do while you're looking either. It's that that contact jungling that takes like years of practice, right? Yeah, you said it's not hard to do. I think you said I think you meant to say it's not easy to do. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very. Complex skill, I think. <laughs> it looked like Bryce had something to add. I've said too many words already. Right. <laughs> I've said too much. All right, so to protect Bryce from having to talk anymore, we're going to rewatch Labyrinth. Uh, it's available on your uh, rental services, but not on your Netflixes and Hulus. So you might want to pause the podcast, rewatch Labyrinth, and join us when you're finished. Dance magic, so uh quick disclaimer for our our millions of listeners that i know went out and googled the michael motion contact juggling book it was actually written by james ernest so uh you're welcome (laughs) thanks bryce so we're on we've paused on the credits here and there's a card here that says jim hensig acknowledges his debt to the works of murray sendak that's the where the wild things are guy right murray sendak Oh, oh yeah? interesting. Well, we were just, as we were watching it, right I was just sitting here and suddenly it clicked for me and I was like, oh my God, this is Wizard of the Oz. Like, wow. Well, she had that book in the stack of source material yeah. in her room. But like, I never really made, I mean, I don't think it's directly Wizard of Oz or anything, but I never really made that connection before, like the similarities between the two. Hmm. I didn't either. I think what they were trying to say is, there are there's a lot of 
influences that went into this, Wizard of Oz, of course, being part of it. And they wanted to really acknowledge those influences, mm-hmm. you know, totally. Wizard of Oz being one, you know, this card in the credits giving credit to Maurice Sendak, you know, and lots his, of like, different things. Big furry monster guy. And there's, I could, I could totally see the, uh, the connection there. Yeah. Totally. Oh yeah. I guess Ludo is kind of like the, where the wild things were monsters. Yeah. I could see that. I'm not going to lie, Nick. I thought you were going to open this episode up with let's address the elephant in the room. This stole so much from the princess bride. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I don't know that I agree with that statement. Did They're you in see the, the forest, like the creepy forest and like they're geez. in a forest yes the, the very 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 <laughs> terribly comped uh r-o-u-s forest dance song but they're r-o-u-b's the, the bird things i don't know i felt like there's i mean i don't think it ripped it off by any means but there are a lot of similarities just in that like fantasy genre and i think it came out close to the same year I don't know. There's like a stinky bog thing that like bubbles and there's like bubbling stuff in the Princess Bride forest. I think you're connecting the visual of like the farting swamp with the uh, the gas that would blow out and shoot out fire from the ground. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The yeah. With the R-O-U-S's. There's a, a similar visual there, I think. But we I were. Yes. Uh, Princess Bride was 87. <laughs> okay. Yeah. A few years later. This was 86, right? Yeah. So we were actually talking a little bit about the scene, Brett, you were talking about saying was very badly comped. The uh, the the dancers that took off their heads, the, the yeah. brightly colored birds. And I think I, I really enjoyed that as a very classic Henson performer thing. You know, Ash mm-hmm. was making the point that that's, that's not green screen. That's a difference, Matt, where yeah. you actually yeah. have performers in solid black on a background of solid black. Yeah. It's a compositing technique where they can suck out the black. Yeah, it was black velvet that they were on. And I think that... And it the, took three performers per each of those characters to do. So there's three people in black suits mm-hmm. standing behind them, like, choreographed. Oh, really? It, was, of, it, it wasn't yeah. like... I, my guess was that it was like they had the, the forearm was no. like... A human's arm, but like, have you ever seen like the half puppets? So they have like the the forearm is connected, and then like the shoes on the feet are connected, but they like move it. Ar- they move it around yeah, like those it's a puppet. ones weren't connected. Yeah, no, they were three. They're each char- each of the characters there, the fire dancers. Each one is in three parts. So there's an upper torso and head. There's the middle torso, and then there's the legs, the butt, and the legs. And they're each actually not even connected. Uh, they just look like they're connected when they have them together, but that's how they're able to like fly the head off and like fly them apart. And if you notice in certain scenes, they like join several of them together to like make them look like a bigger monster or make them look like a longer monster. So they're all actually three separate parts that they choreographed. Three people had to choreograph the motion together. It's pretty funny when you like actually see the behind the scenes and you see them do it because it just looks like you just watch it and you're like, how could this ever be good? You know? Well, <laughs> like, yeah, well, there was like a shit ton of people in that. Yeah, scene. there's a lot yeah. of people I that you just don't see at all. I think people think of Henson puppetry as hand up mm-hmm. inside the head of a puppet. Because of Kermit. But when you go way back to the original Henson creations, it was there was a lot of dance performance in it. 
you see this and some of the stuff they did in I can't remember one of one of the old talk shows where they would do guest performances, you know, and some of the stuff in the original Muppet show. It was it was dancers. It was it was truly athletic performances operating these puppets. And they do things like I love when she's falling down that pit mm-hmm. and it's hands arranging themselves to talk. That yeah. was fantastic. Yeah. Which is yeah. a form so of cool. puppetry. So it's not just a hand inside of a head of a puppet. It's, you know, another of my most favorite effects is, um, I can't remember the name in this movie, um, but it's the dog that Didymus rides on. Uh-huh. Um, but in the Muppet show, there's a character called Muppy. It was almost exactly the same character, where sometimes it's a puppet dog, and sometimes, sometimes it's an it's actual dog. dog. Yeah. And sometimes it's the same shot. You would see Muppy, like, at a desk looking at camera, ducks behind the desk, and then the real dog runs off screen. Uh-huh. And they <laughs> totally had one of those in this Yeah, in this yeah they had too. a bunch of it in this, and I love that effect. So it's like, it's so awesome. they do not contain themselves in the techniques for puppetry, Yeah, which I absolutely worship. And, and that was a really convincing puppet, too, for the dog. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I could just tell because I, I have a dog. I'm like, you can't get that type of performance out of a real <laughs> dog. <laughs> and there were but moments where it was a real dog with a puppet on the back of that dog with even oh, yeah. a little bit of articulation on that puppet. Yeah. Yeah. Like when he ran across the bog. Yeah. Like, or even he crazy. goes past Hoggle and he goes, pardon us or something or like coming through mm-hmm. or whatever. And the, the puppet of Sir Dynamis turns, but he's on the real dog, but the puppet turns and says, pardon us to Hoggle and keeps yeah. going. And the way that Hoggle worked was really amazing as well, because it's a, um, I believe it was a girl that is actually playing Hoggle who's in the makeup and get up. And then the head was uh, like puppeted by like, I want to say three or five different people. And is it radio controlled? It's radio controlled. There was like somebody just doing the eyes, somebody doing the lips, like, you know, like each part of the puppet being controlled by different people. And then there's the guy like doing the voice as well. Mm. So it's, yeah, I gotta say like the, the not a dig at the rest of the cast, but, uh, Hoggle was by far and away the best actor in the movie. <laughs> and if you if you ever have the opportunity, if you ever want to see some of this stuff live and in person, Brian Henson does a show called Puppet Up. And it's kind of advertised as more of an adult-themed thing, but it's basically improv comedy with puppets. And you'll get to see a lot of these different techniques. And one thing that's just absolutely fascinating, and it reminds me of something you just said, Ash. They, at some point in the show, they wheel out this machine, which is basically a computer in a rack with controls that a puppeteer holds, and they are puppeteering a, a computer-animated character there on stage. Oh, whoa. So That's it's crazy. not radio control of a puppet head. It's wired control of a character there on screen. Huh. And that's, oh, that's as much cool. puppetry as anything else. Yeah. They they're doing yeah. a run in Vegas now. So if you ever have the chance to see Puppet Up, it's it's oh, glorious. Yeah. And you see a lot of like how they do a lot of this stuff yeah. built yeah, around we an went improv together. comedy show. Did you Is that come in? I went with you. That's right. You went with me. It was once. awesome. Yeah. So you remember yeah, that. Is I that was coming back s- to LA? Uh I don't know. But I was kind of skeptical at first, and it was a fucking magical night. It was like it, it was so much fun, especially as somebody who works in stop motion. I yeah. never 
worked in puppetry and I never knew how they did it. And it's just amazing. It's yeah, so cool. They even do their entire closing number with just bare hands. They do a song with mm-hmm. like like when she fell down the pit and mm-hmm. the hands were talking. That's their cool. entire closing number is just bare hands. Wow. That's yep. awesome. And like Sam talked about it for a while I afterwards and then it was like that was fucking awesome. And, and then I fucking nerded the fuck out because they came to my work. The, oh. the puppeteers really? and I had to like help direct a lot film shoot with these puppeteers and I was like oh, wow. oh my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's amazing because they're both great puppeteers but some of the best improv comedians I've seen oh yeah so it's, it's a really good they, show it's funny like the way they handle the puppets with such care like when they're yeah. not on screen they don't like it's not thrown around it's like sitting on their lap like a real character they treat it like a real thing yeah and it, it's just they're super into it and like the thought process is all there. Yeah. You know, they, they yeah. get through. I feel like that's another thing that really sells the puppets in this movie is they're, they're treated very real, even with the camera choices, like the camera angle choices. And it's like, they'll cut to an emotional close up of just a reaction of somebody like Ludo or Hoggle, or even the, the dude with the bird on his head. Like we cut to a close up of the bird and just the bird and treat the bird like its own entity. And I think it's stuff like that, that really sells them as like, like I feel like these are real characters and not puppets. Yeah, like even the snail at the beginning or whatever. Oh, like yeah. he's, the, he's a caterpillar. He gets like a whole like full screen close up while during their conversation and it's yeah. just like Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, there was a one year at Comic Con I saw a an actual panel. I think it was one of the Nerd HQ panels with uh Sesame Street characters. Oh wow! And granted, I was I was seeing the performers. Oh, just the characters. Or? Well, the 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 performers, the humans were there in full view, sitting on a chair. But they were playing the characters. But it's amazing how quickly your mind just blanks them out. Wow! And there's Cookie Monster on stage in front of me, and I was having a moment. It was crazy. <laughs> and there was a point where they're like, you know, somebody was talking about uh, Bert, and no, it was it was Grover, and like, well, Grover's here. You guys want to talk to Grover? I'm like. Hell yeah, I want to talk to Grover. And he just goes and gets a duffel bag. But in a moment, Grover's there, you know? Wow. At the end of this show, somebody had to come out on stage and vacuum up cookie crumbs. (laughs) I I had tears in my eyes because they were there. They were physically there in front of – it was amazing. That's, That's awesome. Cool. But don't yeah. don't eat Grover's cookies because they're not actually edible for people. I've I've heard this. There's one I can't remember who it was, but one celebrity was on Sesame Street who took a bite out of a cookie and deeply, deeply regretted oh, no. it. Oh, yeah. no. I mean, they're not gonna hurt you, but they like they don't have butter because the oil will stain the puppet. Oh, that so makes sense. So they're just like disgusting. They're built to crumble. Yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> So why was why was the baby dressed like Bluto from Popeye? <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Or, or like it Waldo. accentuated its baby curves. Yeah, I like the <laughs> Waldo better because the whole yeah. movie's a where's where's oh. Toby. <laughs> where's Toby? <laughs> it was really weird to me when he they're doing the dance magic dance song and Toby's like standing in the middle of the room. Babies don't yeah. just stand. 
Oh, you yeah. Know, babysit, I, but he's just like standing nonchalantly in the middle of the room. Hold, holding the hands of the goblins. Yeah, I think the goblins were holding him up. super cute. Maybe, but it was like, I don't know. It's, you never see a baby standing. Like, you, he's there, also baby? a little bit older, too. He's yeah. not like an infant. He could he's be like, walking. He's a yes. top. He's like not walking, but he's like able to stand. Let's discuss your knowledge of babies, shall we? <laughs> it's limited. Apparently not very much. <laughs> so speaking of, of the dance magic dance song, um, you know, the, the rest of the movie aside, uh, that's like the most iconic thing from the movie. And I think that sequence is just objectively terrible. <gasps> Take it wow. back. Interesting. But I like, would, I the, mean, even like compared to almost any other scene in that movie, like I think that was my least favorite scene, which is weird because that's really? the one I know. Yeah. It's a bit of a non sequitur. Like, what does this dance number have to do with anything right now? Also, it's just I like, I guess so. Just like a bunch of people dancing with a baby is just like, mm. this is not entertaining for me. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what it did for me? There are every now and then a moment where. David Bowie is about to start singing. Then David Bowie sings, and it just triggers something in my brain. Like, God damn, his voice is just amazing, uncomparable, right? So that, amazing. When he starts singing "Dance Magic Dance," it's like so uniquely his perfect voice. Yeah, that just hit hit me like a ton of bricks. Well, I'll tell you this, Brett. Would you have enjoyed this uh, that scene more if it was the first choice that they had to play that character, which was Michael Jackson <sighs> dancing Whoa. with a baby? <laughs> it's a trick question. The answer is no. <laughs> I made it dark. But yeah, no, I think, but like there was so much cool stuff in the movie and that one just, it didn't, maybe my expectation was too high because it's like the, the popular thing, but like it just, it didn't live up to the hype. That's interesting that, I guess the the you remind me of the babe mantra is very well known. I wouldn't say that it's like the most iconic thing of the movie though. I think the most iconic thing of the movie is the ball sequence. Or like the most oft quoted, I think is what Yeah, I it's there. definitely quoted for sure. Yeah. So I've got this this thing, it's my uh, interview with a vampire thing that always kind of creeps me out when I see an actress who I have a crush on now when they're like 16 just like kirsten dunst in interview with a vampire was like more like 12 but you can see the person that they're going to grow up to be later and it just adds this creepy level to the whole movie like i see 16 year old jennifer connelly i'm like that girl's 16 like that's not an attractive well and like i was saying before we jennifer connelly before we watched it too i was like (laughs) how old is david bowie when they recorded this because that age difference is there supposed to be an attraction between them yeah oh absolutely are you kidding me okay that's what the whole scene did you listen to the lyrics of the songs no i i gotcha and and sam i definitely got it in that scene when there was like the the ball dance when she was hallucinating That's what I thought when you guys said ball scene, you're talking about the contact juggling. No, no, I'm talking now about the, the who's masquerade. Sorry. Yeah, the the drug peach. <laughs> yeah. Drug peach scene. Yeah. Well, after drug peach Brett's scene. laughing at you saying balls. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. Laugh at ACDC, who did a whole song about that misunderstanding. <laughs> you know the ACDC song, oh. Big Balls? No. Wait, what? It's a it's a popular song. It's about, about ball big balls. Blitz. I like oh, big yeah. balls. 
Yes, I do remember that one. I don't know. Sorry, I just outed myself as not a big ACDC fan. Uh, I don't. I don't think there's anyone that's is a that big a, ACDC. Yeah, fan like anymore. is that a problem? I don't know. ACDC is great. I don't know what's wrong with you. People. <laughs> I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying I don't know. <laughs> they're not David saying. Bowie. <laughs> I think it's excusable not to know all the songs. Yeah, Fair exactly. Enough. Did anybody notice the actor in this movie who is also in Highlander? No. What? Yeah, because Wait, he was only on screen for like four seconds. <laughs> Wait, is the dad? The dad is the militia uh, guy in the Trans Am who got stabbed. Uh, he jumped out with the guns to shoot at Kurgan and in Castigar when they were fighting. Oh, that guy. Wow. That's the dad. You remember huh. in the beginning, I'm like, where did I see that dad yeah, recently? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. He looked really different in this. Yeah, well, he did. He had four seconds of screen time in this. <laughs> he was holding a baby. You were distracted. But did he have like different color hair too? I think just, you know, the baby just really, you could, nothing with the baby really worked for you. So. He's <laughs> <laughs> <Babies are> distracted. <laughs> Actually, in the beginning when she's like, I hate you, child. I was like, yes, my feelings exactly about children. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I feel this way. <laughs> See, you you just like hate hate babies. I do. I feel like I'm gonna break babies. Like this is like yeah. a real life. Well, you probably will, considering your break. knowledge of them <laughs> seems yeah, so vast. They make me nervous. Like here's a person that I could just accidentally destroy. That was the best part of the dance magic dance scene is when Bowie starts throwing, throwing the, baby the baby doll. Yeah, he just throws it up in the air and then walks off screen. Yeah. And luckily one of the other goblins just caught him. But Bowie's like, yeah, yeah bored now. You do and have like, to wonder what he wants the baby for. I mean, he doesn't seem to care about it very much. He's going to turn it into a goblin, right? I well, guess, yeah. I thought he was just fulfilling the expectations of Jennifer Connelly. I don't know, I guess. I don't know. But I, I watched that and I was like, I know it's a puppet. But like, oh my God, he walked away when he threw it. What the <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Oh, he's an irresponsible that, parent. That's like that super old image that became a meme of all those dads tossing their babies up in the air. And there's that one dad in the center that threw the baby way too high. Oh no. And it's, it's plagued my whole life. Like, how did that end? Like, you're was just hoping it was okay? Photoshop. Like, yeah, I seriously, like, I almost don't want to know because if it didn't end well, like, God, oh God. I've seen the moment before this dad dropped his baby. Like, Cut to oh. 20 years later and he's like, and that's when I dropped you, Roy. <laughs> he's just showing <laughs> Well, fortunately, when we cut to 20, 25 years later, we've got Duncan Jones who directed Moon, who's freaking awesome. So I guess Bowie's an all right parent. Oh, that's his son? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. That's cool. Although he did also direct Warcraft, so maybe it's a little delayed brain damage there. <laughs> hey, that actually made a ton of money, so. Yeah, but some yeah. movies have built-in audiences, whether they're good or not. Yeah. I mean, Suicide Squad made a ton of money, too. It doesn't mean it's a good movie. Here. All right. Brett has found the dads and babies. We can tweet it. Oh, no. For our viewers. Do I want to see this? Is this going to... <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's, it's plagued me it's, look at his face too he's like does he have regret so, I can't quite see hold on that's like a I've done something wrong yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've made a terrible mistake <laughs> can we photoshop David Bowie in the middle and put Toby as the baby <laughs> under there <laughs> that would be so amazing uh, I want to do it I'm gonna do it 
Yes, yes, you can and you should. Oh, so so good. I've always wanted to do a sketch where it was like uh, David Bowie, but it was like the Goblin King shows up to a house as a babysitter for hire, but he's really <laughs> going to steal the baby and then it turns into Catch a Predator and the Catch a Predator <laughs> guy comes out. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Like when the... To catch a predator guy looks in the wrong direction. A bunch of goblins like poke their heads. Oh the man, corner, that'd be so good! I think this movie is amazing. I love everything about it. In fact, I even think that like yes, there's things about like the CG that you know don't necessarily hold up, but I feel like that adds that just adds to the charm of it. You know, like With in my one opinion, notable exception, the owl, uh, the shitty CG owl. Yeah. Well, I was even at the end, they clearly had shot the real owl on the black and like comped him in. And I was like, why didn't they just do that for the beginning instead of the CGI owl? Even, but I was mad even at the end when that owl showed up. I was like, this, is this a theme that they were going for that they lost for the whole movie? And they were just like, haha, bookend it with the owl because that happened. Well, like the owl is David Bowie. Is it? Yeah, he turned into the owl. I like looked away at that minute. Oh, no, the owl is David Bowie. He was always watching her. That's the thing is like from the very beginning, he was always watching her because he liked her. So David Bowie invited all those kids to Hogwarts. (laughs) What? (laughs) Like, isn't that how you get accepted into Hogwarts? The owl comes. Yeah, David Bowie comes to you. Hello, Harry. (laughs) (laughs) You're a wizard. Let me sing to you. That would have been an amazing (laughs) series of movies. You remind me of the wizard. If they just took out Dumbledore and put in Bowie. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. So on board. Have you seen the picture of Dr. Strange? It's like, a picture of Hogwarts and oh, Doctor yeah. Strange, yeah, and he's, he's like, "Hello, the, uh, I will be your defense against demons. the dark arts teacher." <laughs> yeah, so good. So I guess you're still on board with this. Oh, I love this movie. Yeah. I'll always love this movie. I think as I was watching it, I think for me, it's just everything that was my childhood, and I feel like I feel the same way about this movie that you said you felt about Sandlot, like Sandlot. I think really speaks to a boy. Point taken, but I was never a big Sandlot person. I think you're thinking of me. <laughs> but I think my equivalent to this movie is Wizard of Oz. Okay. But my point being is that just like Sandlot and Stand By Me, I think are the boy experience of childhood. Mm. In my opinion, this was the teenage girl experience of my childhood. Like this, this was... Everything I wanted and fantasized about as, yeah. you know, a little girl. And so, hating, to me... Hating children and doing drugs yeah. on accident. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> and so. in, in that way, I think it is a, a lot like Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Because some a, a young girl... Does Dorothy hate children in Wizard of Oz? <laughs> but I think oh. a young girl in, what was it, 1950-whatever probably would have felt the same way 30? about Wizard of Oz that you felt about. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Would have had the same emotional attachment as you did. True. Yeah, I mean, I never, Wizard of Oz never gripped me that way. And I, I think the thing that also really does it for me is David Bowie, because he's yeah. just so, like, charismatic and, like, just interesting. You know, you just can't help but 
really like him. And I'm not even a person who likes musicals. I don't even really like musicals that much. But him singing to me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, go for it. You know, like I love the mixture too of like, sometimes he's not even really singing the song, but it's his song that we're hearing. Yeah, there's this awesome quote that was attributed to Simon Pegg, but apparently he didn't actually say it, but still a great quote that was basically you should consider yourself very fortunate to have lived at the same time as Mm. David Bowie, Mm -hmm. which I think is, (laughs) there's a lot of truth to that, but like, just imagine David Bowie and Jim Henson in the same room. Yeah. Like that is amazing. Yeah. That's, that's magic right there. And I'm so glad we got the product of Jim Henson and David Bowie in the same room. And that being said, like, I think that's other things for me that really just like hit this movie out of the park is like, I loved the Muppets as well as a kid. And so I loved the puppetry in this movie. And I also loved magic and I still love magic. And I love that there's real magic in this movie. You know, like that's not something that you see very often anymore. I mean, look at the fucking now you see me bullshit movies where it's like, we're going to use CG instead of real magic. And it's like, look at the lengths that they went through in this movie to do real practical tricks. And, you know, some of them are even like just camera tricks that work so well. Yeah. There's, there's a very blurry line at a certain point between practical visual effects and magic, an illusion. And when he lifts the door from the ground and then opens it up on a hinge, fantastic, changes his mind, closes it and opens it up on an opposite hinge all one one shot. All one shot, and it was clearly yeah. not composited or anything. No, it's. I love that shot. Yeah, it's so cool. It's like I was gonna say earlier the the scene in it might have been the Great Muppet Caper when the Muppets are riding bicycles. If you ever oh, explain yeah. to me how they shot that scene, I will cut you. Like, do not ruin <laughs> that magic for me because that is straight up magic. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just, I think, you know, there are some things that visually don't quite hold up anymore, like the CG owl and the really rough, you know, velvet uh, comp thing that they did with the fire dancers. But, like, there's so much practical stuff and, like, just amazing... Um, uh, matte paintings that blend seamlessly in with like the the set design that it just I think it really holds up personally you know I think there's those two unfortunate situations that don't but for the most part like the imagery is still like just as beautiful and and like so many things I've said with other movies the the things that don't necessarily work that may kind of fall flat I respect them all the more because they were trying things. Yeah. And that's what yeah. Henson's crew always did. They were always trying things. And I think that's that's a defense against that CGL. That was a yeah. new way of animating a character, and they wanted to do what they could to try it. Yeah. Which I, I really mean, respect. If we didn't have people like taking risks, there wouldn't have been Toy Story, which gave birth to a whole new genre of animation, like a whole new way of doing things. So. That has now been overplayed. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's, like, the only way animated films get released now is in 3D. Yeah. So, mm. and they look a hell of a lot better than they did in Toy Story. So, I I definitely enjoyed this. It was very good. 
And I don't know what it is about this movie, because we saw it, I don't know, two years ago, three years ago, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And I did not remember most of it. Interesting. Which usually happens when I don't like a movie. Hmm. But I liked it, but there's something about this movie that my eyes slide off of. Hmm. You know, it's just like, that's great. I really enjoy that, but it's not grabbing me and engaging me. I mean, I can't explain why I, and that's kind of what I was going for when I was saying the whole Sandlot thing is like, again, if you watch and if you have the DVD, I highly recommend you get the special edition DVD of Labyrinth and watch the behind the scenes because unlike the behind the scenes nowadays that are just people fucking recapping the film and showing you clips from the movie you've already seen, they actually show you footage from behind the scenes and they actually tell you how they did all this shit and it's so cool. But in the behind the scenes, Jim Hansen says, you know, specifically, he's like, we were trying to make a movie that would appeal to teenage girls Mm -hmm. and like, I don't blame you for it not being your thing because I don't think you're the target market. You know, I think mm. teenage girls of that era, era are the target market. I, I think that's an awesome goal. And and I think when we were talking about Kevin Smith and how Yoga Hosers is kind of trying to accomplish that same goal, mm, mm-hmm. there aren't enough movies for young teenage girls. I don't think that's why I'm not engaging with it, but I do I'd like to take that. a guess. Yeah, okay. I think I have a guess too. Uh, <laughs> see if it's the same. There's a there's a couple pieces to this, uh, and it starts off in the, in the negative because it's the thing that I don't like about an entire genre of movies. Even though I I liked this movie, the thing that gets in the way of a lot of '80s stuff is there's just too much shit on screen, um, and a lot of the scenes in this uh, had some of those elements not as bad as some movies but like the not you know, like legend <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but like the you know uh, even down to uh i i thought it was cool when i brought it up and then sam mentioned like the costuming of like the individual goblins is like every single one is just nuts like there's so much detail in like every little part of it but like from even a medium distance uh, and there's 20 of them on screen it's just like a, a, a like a beautiful clutter that it's hard to to like stick Focus. in your head visually too busy like it's too busy and uh but and then there's bi- scenes like in the hedge where it's very simplified so I think it's chaotic with the goblins because it's supposed to feel chaotic and it's supposed to feel like there's a lot of goblins. And so to add to that feeling, their costumes are very detailed and intricate to make it seem like there's probably more than them, of them than there are. Yeah. He's talking more generally, like in some of the scenes um, when there's a lot of other characters, it's hard to focus on the main characters and the story point of what's at stake. So I think that's kind of what Nick was saying. Like visually, it's really interesting, but then he kind of has trouble staying engaged in the story. Like, like the fire dancer scene. Um, like you have the the. I didn't have trouble there. No, I mean, no, it's like, <laughs> but it's like one example of it where it's like you have you know the, your main character, and then like a dozen of these things, and then a forest scene that isn't. Uh, particularly like engaging in its like design. It's just like a forest and there's like, but there's a ton of forest stuff in the background and it's like, 
if if the if the comp hadn't been so bad, I don't think the like it, any of those characters would have stood out against the forest at all because it was all kind of like that same color palette and just like tons of detail everywhere, and it's hard to it's hard it was hard to focus. I think in some parts. Well, I think maybe you should like relook at that scene because they're actually very contrast in color compared to the background, which makes them stand out a lot because the background well, that's is what I'm saying. They would, they weren't, they were comped in like a way where their colors didn't even match. Like it was the, like their comp wasn't color corrected for the background. Oh, I see what you're saying. But if it had been properly matched, I think it would have been ev- like, like a crazy thing to try and focus on. I don't know. I think, I think you have good points, but I think for me, it's more pacing. Yeah. You know? I there's, was gonna... there's a lot of really slow moments. And there's a lot of like, it's very segmented. So I feel like the segments that don't hook up to the main storyline kind of get lost in your memory because they don't really like have an impact on how the story ends up. Like they're really fun and entertaining for sure. And I really enjoy them, but there's nothing at stake for the character in those scenes. Like the ones that I remembered was the house, the ball or the masquerade and like, Well, there's a lot at stake in the masquerade. That's what I'm saying. And those are the scenes that I remember. Oh, I see. Because there's so much Mm. at stake. And the scenes that I forgot about would be like the ones with the fire dancing dudes or like the bog sequence. Like, You know what it's like? It's, It's a lot like the original Star Trek series, which I love on every level. But if I sit down and watch it, it often just puts me to sleep. Because it's a very slowly paced show. Hmm. And not like this movie is putting me to sleep, but it's like it's hard to engage when things move so slow sometimes, at least for me. Is do you think you feel that way because you don't actually have any way to measure her progress? Is that why you feel that way? That's an interesting huh. point. I huh? think that's probably yeah. why you feel like it's slow paced because you don't She's constantly traveling, but you have no concept of how close she is that, to the castle. I think that yeah. could be the key. Yeah, like eventually she's just there. Yeah. yeah. And that, there's... that really bums me out when I'm watching a movie when you just have no idea, like it could end or it could continue for five more days. <laughs> but the thing is, is uh, visually you don't really have any reference, but there are like two or three subtle lines throughout it that do give you reference as to how close she is. And I think if you, if you were tuned out and not listening and you missed those lines, you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't know her progress. They also give you some things that like obfuscate that a little bit too. Like the fact that at any point, any one of the things she encounters could just like take her back lead her back out to the front. Yeah. 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 Now I'm remembering that's exactly the issue I had with Jumanji. There was no way of knowing how close they were to the end. Oh, right. On until the, it just suddenly ended. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't really good, have those problems. Point. Like, personally, the. But it's d- interesting that it took, that you could spot the thing that I couldn't put my finger on. Yeah. I think, I mean, I could, I, I could assume that that probably would be your issue. And I, again, it's not an issue for me because I'm heavily invested in the characters the whole time and so to me it's not that's not as important which i think probably explains my issue with star trek because i always feel like the original star trek 
are 15 to 20 minute stories stretched out to an hour. Mm. So I can always mm. see where the story is going to end, but they're going to take their sweet time getting there. <laughs> even even like of, half of Next Gen was like that. <laughs> well, the first few seasons, yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to just check out. But the <laughs> the thing you said, Brett, about there just being so much detail, that's one of my favorite things about this movie, actually. I love the detail. And I love the fact that even watching it again for like the 20th time or whatever, I'm still seeing detail that I've never noticed before. Like, I love how the back of Hoggle's vest is actually a face. Yeah. And the strap yeah, is. Um, yeah. you know the strap is like a mouth and like the tongue is the strap and like I love that in the scene where they're in the goblin city like to the in the foreground on buildings there's even little animated bugs that are mm. moving around on the buildings that like I've never noticed that before until I noticed it this time and they're just like this little detail to add to the chaos and I really yeah. like it I don't think that the detail is inherently bad. Uh, I think it's just, uh, it's a part of my personal least favorite aesthetic. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's all, all it really is, is it's hard for me to focus on stuff. But yeah, it's not like in, like bad for everyone. I think it was just, it got in my way. Mm-hmm. When there's too much going on, there's nothing going on. Yeah, like sta- like visual static. I think the thing I like about it is like it makes it feel more real to me as opposed to making the Wizard of Oz comparison. Like the Wizard of Oz feels very much like a set the whole time. Yeah, you know, oh, totally. Like, so this, like all the stuff in the foreground and whatnot and like <laughs> the ridiculous amount of money they must have spent on sparkles because they're just everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think it... It adds to make it look real for me. Feel like a, it feels like a real place. So I feel like we've been kind of discussing my feelings and Ash's feelings. So let's get Brett and Sam. Um, yeah, I still really like this movie. I forgot how dated some of the little bits are. Like the in-between music um, sounds very, very dated. But overall, like the characters are phenomenal, and I think that's what really sells this movie for me is just like how many interesting little creatures they created that are so believable and interesting, and like that I've never seen before. Like every single one, every yeah, single yeah. One. even yeah. like side characters. And I think I mean, the, that's the brilliant that's, thing of it being a labyrinth is that she turns right. Not, I'm not even talking about the left and right thing at the beginning of the movie. I'm saying any time in the movie, she turns right and interacts with this character. Had she turned yeah. left, there would have been a completely different crazy character yeah, who we'll never absolutely. get to see. There's so many other possibilities in this movie. Or that like we didn't the see doors. Like what if she had gone through the left door instead of the right door? Yeah. Yeah. But like the depth of the characters, there's so many more scattered yeah. throughout that labyrinth that we didn't see. Yeah. And their acting is so wonderful. Like... And they're just beautifully articulated and just like there's so much much craftsmanship that went into every single shot, which I think is what makes it feel like a very fleshed out world. Like you don't feel like they left details out for you. So that's what grounds it. It makes it feel really like it's there, even though it's so fantastical. Yeah, like the battle in the castle town, that was like really cool. Yeah. And it, yeah. because it, it didn't feel like a set so much. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, everything, even like the the memories land with all the old junk and stuff, mm-hmm. like so much detail, but everything was very thoughtful. I mean, if you looked at all the individual pieces, like it wasn't a bunch of random garbage, like they were all tied in and like yeah. to make the world feel very real. And I don't know if you noticed, but um, in the beginning in her room, all of the characters are in her room. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Book. Yeah. I, I want that stuffed animal. Like what the fox. Even the Goblin King is a statue on her desk. Like, oh. it, they're all there. The Goblin King, there's the maze. The hedge maze is a little board game. There's uh-huh. Hoggle is a bookend. There's uh, Sir Dynamis and Ludo are stuffed animals. Like, they're all, all the characters are there. Um and like all the different sets are there and there's like a panning shot they do in the beginning where they're panning over her stuff and they go past the Wizard of Oz book and it's all like scenes and characters from the movie that you're seeing before you actually get to see them. Yeah, I think that's a a standard but fantastic device that's used in a lot of these fantasy films. Uh, and and like even uh, Never Ending Story, it's like this entire story takes place in this character's imagination. And I think that's a great thing. Like, that may sound like a critique, but I really like that. That well, reminds me a lot. I don't think the story takes place in her imagination. Okay. I think that's certainly a possibility. She'd be tripping. <laughs> it is a possibility, but that's not what I believe. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that idea reminds me a lot of uh, the uh, Edgar Wright foreshadowing but they you know they talk it all but it's like the visual version of that you know yeah exactly i just think it's really great foreshadowing with the the set design and something small you said sam that i i wanted to drive home the difference between the david bowie music and the the movie score was stark like yeah there was such a big difference between those two types of music Brett like, thinks it was all written by Bowie, and I, I don't. No, no. I, I agree. M- I, in the very beginning, it says composed by David Bowie. Songs composed yeah. by but David Bowie. At the end, Bowie. they they list exactly. And what then there's, oh, a, okay. there's a yeah. movie score by somebody else, and it's it's strikingly different. So, different. but I, so I think that might also be part of the reason why the the dance match dance didn't work for me is because mm. it was really similar to the movie score. Like the, whoever scored the rest of it, like heard that song and kind of like did like the the cheese drums and funk bass all over the movie uh compare it to highlander which we just saw you know songs by queen Mm -hmm. but movie score by michael kamen and Mm -hmm. i think those did meld together very well uh so i've discussed the couple of things i didn't like uh you know that it's technical little bits uh, but I was actually really surprised by how good this movie was. It was really Come good. Come to the and Bowie side. Th- the story was great. The the characters were fantastic. Um, and even within my dislike of the 80s, everything is junk and garbage aesthetic. Uh, <laughs> like, there was a lot of stuff in this movie to like visually. Like, the co- like the costumes, and I, I totally noticed the face on, on Hoggle's shirt, and, yeah. uh, like, in the battle scene, there was, like, the fountain with, like, the, the different sc- peen the goblins. Sculpted, yeah, yeah, but they're all, like, sculpted, and there's just anywhere that you wanted to get lost in this movie, visually, you could, which yeah. is really cool, and it doesn't work most of the time people go after that aesthetic. So, like, I think this might be 
for me, the best possible, like the, the best case scenario for that look. Yeah, no, it was it was great. Great movie. So what did you think, Bryce? Still liked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it looks like we got through the other end of the labyrinth. Woohoo! Yeah, if you uh, if you like the show, uh, this is part of the Laugh Stash TV network of awesome content. We have the podcast and a YouTube channel with tons of awesome, ton, uh, tons awesome. of awesome, yeah, awesome shows. Uh, <laughs> Slipping into uh, Highlander, there. <laughs> it's the Highlander Connery is sticking with me. Yeah, we have tons of awesome shows. Uh, we got a drinking show with me and Ash. We got. Uh, video game parodies, uh, just tons of great stuff. Uh, check it out, YouTube, uh, Laugh TV. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Laugh TV, or you can follow this podcast at Let's Rewatch. And uh, do be sure to send us your movie requests if you have requests for movies you want us to watch. We've already done quite a few. In fact, Highlander was one. Uh, we have other ones too, but we also appreciate everybody tweeting at us like William and Ralph and um, Lore Podcast actually liked our, one of our tweets. Um, Gravity Beard Podcast, all those people. Jennifer Wolf, thank you all for tweeting at us. And be sure to share the show with other people. And if you liked our podcast, please go ahead and give us a review on iTunes or Google Play Music. Also, please go ahead and rate us on Lips and Fuck. What <laughs> nope, is nope. it? It's, you can leave a comment <laughs> Leave <there>. a comment. <laughs> leave a comment on Lips and I hope you keep I all can't these remember in. my fucking outro. <laughs> God, oh. we did doing this for over a year. Wait, hold on. There's a new service, too, and I forget what I added oh, us please on. Please don't add more. Okay, well, forget it then. But it's a good, it's a good one. <laughs> so we do this every two weeks, so make sure your subscriptions are all up to date. And join us again in a couple weeks for more Let's Rewatch. Yeah, next time we're going to be watching Trial of the Screaming Foreheads. What? <laughs> There's so many questions. Is it just an image of like... <laughs> Is that a forehead or like a marshmallow man? 